welcome aboard Sinister Sightings Flight ACP-063. Again, that's APC for A Paranormal Chicks. We hope that you're buckled in and your seat tray tables are all the way upright. Please keep your little gremlins in your bag until we arrive at our destination. If you see any spooks, ghouls, specters, or yetis, please let your flight attendant know and she will provide them with a drink. We hope you enjoy your flight with us and you arrive at your destination safely. Thank you. I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 61. And y'all just heard Andrea taking flight, and I love the part about the gremlins. I mean, I love the part about getting a Yeti a drink. It painted a picture. In a Yeti cup, question mark? We are not that bougie. We could get in the Ozark <laughs> Walmart brand. Isn't that what they're called? Yeah, They are just as good. <laughs> yeah, they are. Not sponsored. No, but they are good. Well, if you want to introduce an episode like that and kick ass just like she did, head on over patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so quarantine check-in. Yep. Different week, same thing. Here, at least, some of the things that are considered like non-essential are opening back up, like hair salons, you know, that kind of thing. They're doing like teeth cleanings now, finally. Of course, there's all the things people are wearing to do it, but... yes. Thank God. Oh, I feel normal right now. Just a little bit. I don't know. I think only because I was supposed to get my teeth cleaned right before they shut everything down. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, no. But then when they called me, I was like, yes. Earliest ever. Like, whenever you can, do it. But they did. They took all the precautions and... All of that. I felt like I was going into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory having to get the fucking golden ticket to get in there. But I thanked them for that. <laughs> and it was great. However, that is not the case in every part of the world or like even the states. And sadly, we know that all too well with one of the creepsters, Amy Joe. She messaged us today, actually, and she told us that her sister, Stacy is going through a loss right now that some people going through this know all too well. Her boyfriend, who was basically her fiancé, his name's Denny, he was 30 and a CNA at a nursing home. He passed away due to COVID. It just breaks our hearts for both of them, their families, and we know that this is unfortunately... One of many. Thank you for everyone who is still going to work and doing these really hard jobs, especially the ones that aren't necessarily getting all the credit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we are so thankful for doctors and nurses, and but also all the other employees that are keeping hospitals and clinics up and running. You know, the certified nursing assistants, the x-ray techs, the housekeeping, the people who work in the cafeteria, you know. But also like 18-wheeler drivers and the people at the grocery store. You know, just there's literally no way to name them all of the people who are keeping us up and running. And so thank y'all all all so much. So Amy Jo and Stacey, we are so sorry for your loss. Just know that you're in our thoughts and 
I know I can speak for all the creepsters and just know that that y'all and your family are on our minds, on our hearts, and we're definitely thinking about y'all. Now let's move on to the spooky. Okay. Hey, ladies. I want to preface this as I apologize for the length, but there is too much around the story to not give it due justice. Also, this story has a little bit for everyone, true crime and the paranormal. So sit back and enjoy. Let's start off with true crime. My hometown of Farmersville, Texas, is a small town located about 40 miles north of Dallas and currently has a population of about 5,000. Your typical, quiet, small town. Or it was until tragedy struck in the spring of 2004. Rachel O'Neill Tolson, a 20-year-old single mother, lived in Farmersville. As a matter of fact, her house was two lots down the road from where my mom worked at the time. Which proves how small this town is. Everyone always has a connection to someone or something. But I digress. Sometime after 10.30 p.m. on Tuesday, March 17, 2004, Rachel disappeared from her home, leaving her six-month-old baby alone resting in the bed. Oh my gosh. It's important to note that her small frame house is just a few blocks from the Farmersville Police Station, and to this day, the house has not appeared to have been occupied since Rachel's disappearance. The police began their investigation of Rachel's disappearance by looking into information linking the theft of Rachel's vehicle from a friend's house just three weeks prior to her disappearance. The stolen vehicle was found a few days later, but Rachel's purse and house keys were no longer in it. A few days after the investigation, a witness came forward stating that her friend, Moses Sandoval Mendoza, told her something that was very important to the case. Moses had went to high school with Rachel and was rumored to have been dating her, though it was never confirmed. Moses' friend claimed that he told her he did it. He had picked Rachel up from her house after the baby had fallen asleep that night that she went missing. Hello, prime suspect status. Further investigation into the case found that Rachel did not go with Moses willingly that night, but was possibly abducted due to the furniture in the house in disarray. Reports stated that it appeared Moses had stolen Rachel's car three weeks prior and had kept her house keys and purse. He then used the keys to gain entry to her house around 10 p.m. on March 17th. Moses and Rachel started arguing and things escalated to the point that it got physical and it's suspected that Moses strangled Rachel to death. It was reported that he told a friend that he then hid her body behind his house until he was questioned by police. Then he moved her to a remote area outside of town and set the body on fire. Rachel's body was found Tuesday, March 23rd, just six days after her disappearance had been reported. Burned in a creek bed about five miles out of town on Country Road 698. This location will be important later in the paranormal part of the story. Her body was in such a bad state from the burning that a cause of death was not able to be determined and Rachel was only identified by dental records. Police arrested and charged Moses with capital murder charges on March 23, 2004 for the murder of Rebecca Tolson. He was sentenced to death June 29, 2006 and is still sitting on death row today. For those wondering what happened to Rachel's baby, 
The baby was not harmed in this incident, and I believe Rachel's parents got custody of her after Rachel's death. The information of custody is just hearsay from gossip I heard around the time of the crime, so don't quote me on it. Let's switch gears now and get to the paranormal part of the story. Growing up, my best friend lived just outside of Farmersville on a dead-end road off County Road 698. Yes, the road Rachel's body was found. This is where I spent almost every weekend from the time I was 13 until we graduated high school. To protect privacy of those involved, I'm using a false name for my friend. We will call her Jessica. Jessica's house always had a creepy feeling to it, although this house did not look creepy at all. Matter of fact, it had been joked that her house, as well as all of the houses in a half-mile radius, were built on ancient burial ground because there was very active paranormal activity in all the houses in that area. But I digress. Let me start by detailing the layout of this house so things will make more sense later on. This was a one-story brick home. You walked in the front door and you were in the living room that opened up into the kitchen, separated by a two-sided fireplace in the middle of the opening. As you're standing at the front door facing in, her mom and stepdad's bedroom and master bath were on the right. To the left, where the living room and kitchen meet, was the hallway. The first door on the right in the hallway was a half bath. The first door on the left was an office. At the end of the hall to the right was a spare bedroom with an attached bathroom, and to the left was Jessica's room with an attached bathroom. This house had three full bathrooms and a one-half bath, y'all. I always thought it was so cool everyone had their own bathroom. Me coming from a home with one shared bathroom, that house was a dream. But back to my story. Anyway, Jessica moved into this house in the summer of 1999 when her mother remarried. Almost immediately, Jessica started seeing the apparition of a young boy. He would show himself to her full body and solid, rarely transparent. She said he was blonde with blue eyes, looked to be around 10 to 12 years old in normal, modern clothing. She would see him watching from the living room window as she walked up the long driveway after getting off the school bus. She would see him in the game room that was actually the detached garage slash pool house. He would sometimes appear in her bedroom and then would quickly disappear, but he never made her feel threatened. He had more of a watchful and protective feel to him, she said. He was not like that being that lived in the half-bathroom located in the hallway. This is the apparition I saw. This bathroom always had a very heavy feeling to it. No one ever wanted to use it because there was just a feeling of dread that would come over you as soon as you entered or walked near that bathroom. I saw this being once when I was around 15. I'm 32 now. And the image has stuck with me clear as day ever since. I was sitting in the living room one day and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move out of the hallway bathroom door. The door was open and no one was in there and the light was off. This was during the day, so you could see down the hall, but I looked and I saw a shadow being who was darker than dark, darker than the darkness of the unlit hallway bathroom. This shadow being had horns coming out of its head. It looked like Maleficent in the Sleeping Beauty cartoon when she starts transforming into the dragon. If Maleficent was a shadow being, that is, it peeked its head out of the doorway, leaning out as if to look straight at me, then slowly leaned back into the bathroom. 
I got goosebumps just typing that last sentence. Oh, it was so freaky. I have never used that bathroom again after that. The feeling of fear that being put into me was never a type of fear I've ever felt again. I believe, though, that this shadow being is behind some very dark things that started to happen in that house after that day. As we turned 16 and grew older, I didn't spend as much time over there as I had due to getting a job that kept me busy most weekends. During this time of me not being there as much, when I saw Jessica at school, she was filling me in on the goings-on at home and how her stepdad had started acting very strange. He had a small office that was located in the hallway straight across from the creepy bathroom, remember? He was getting more and more paranoid about anyone entering his office. He started getting mean and hateful. He also started working from home more and would spend all day locked in that office. He forbid anyone from entering that office. The door would be locked when he wasn't in it and only he had the key. This office wasn't even as big as a normal room either. It was more of the size of a walk-in closet. It couldn't be more than six foot by four foot. I mean, this office was so small. So it was very strange that he would spend hours upon hours locked in this small space with the door shut, especially since he was a very social person and would always spend time in the living room or game room or the pool with everyone swimming and just having a good time. He was a very friendly, likable guy until he started acting strange. Right after we graduated high school, it became apparent as to why he was spending so much time in there. Jessica's mom was cleaning Jessica's bathroom, which was her private bathroom that was attached to her bedroom, and noticed something strange in the air vent of the ceiling. She got on a stool to look further and noticed it was a camera that was pointed straight to Jessica's shower. She asked Jessica's stepdad why there was a camera in the vent and pointed at Jessica's shower. He just stammered. After she got more and more mad, he finally confessed. He had been filming Jessica while she was in the shower. He was filming his stepdaughter in the shower, y'all. He had had blank VHS of the recording he had been collecting in his fucking office. This was 2006, y'all, so they weren't all digitalized like we are today, hence the VHS tapes. Jessica's mom demanded he give her all the tapes and get the hell out of the house. At one point, pulling a gun on him and demanding the tapes until he finally handed them over. How she didn't pull the trigger on him is still a mystery to all of us. Jessica's mom said she was just numb and wanted him out so she could process what had happened. And as soon as Jessica got back home that day, they packed their bags and moved. Now, looking back, they wish they would have pressed charges, but at the time, they were so shocked and stunned at what had happened that they didn't know what to do and just wanted away from that monster. But it's been 14 years now, and Jessica and her mom have moved past that horrible time and are living their best lives. I've spoken to Jessica over this incident in the past years, and she and I both believe the shadow being in the creepy hall bathroom must have been behind her stepdad turning into a creeper. It's too weird how he changed as if a switch was flipped just after that shadow being started to appear. We are still so thankful that they found the camera and stopped the situation before he tried anything physical with Jessica. We also think that the little boy apparition was trying to warn Jessica of the bad things going on. 
Her stepdad started getting more and more weird. The little boy would appear more and more and always seemed to show up in the bedroom in the doorway where Jessica's bathroom joined onto the bedroom. Oh, and on a different note, but ties into the true crime part of this novel of a story. One Saturday night in 2004, a bunch of us were playing pool in the detached garage turned game room of Jessica's house. It was a warm spring night, so we had the garage door open and were enjoying the breeze. Every once in a while, the wind would pick up and this foul odor would sweep in and make us all gag. Then it would dissipate as the wind died down. We thought it was just a dead animal or something with us being in the country and all and went on about our business and didn't think another thing about it until Tuesday. Jessica called me around 5 o'clock saying she got home from school, which we got out of at 3.15 because the road to her house was blocked off and there were police cars everywhere. Remember where I said Jessica lived? On a dead-end road off County Road 698? Well, it turned out that the road was blocked off because of an incident in the creek right across 698 from Jessica's Road. Have you guessed where I'm going with this? That's right. This was the Tuesday afternoon that they found Rachel's body. That dead smell we were smelling that previous Saturday night wasn't an animal. It was her. So, yeah, that's the end of this novel of a tale. Sorry for the length, you guys, but I hope you enjoyed it. Stay awesome and creeping it real and don't get scared. Mandy C. from Texas. Holy crap. Fuck that stepdad. Right. That's, wow. That's beyond shitty. That's crazy that y'all smelled her body. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Golly. Okay. Hey girls, I'm finally getting around to submitting my experiences. Hope you and everyone else listening enjoys them. I was 10 when I first had a paranormal experience. I was laying in bed trying to get comfortable and I had my door open so I could hear my mom and my brother talking in her room a little ways down the hall. It was comforting. I knew we were the only ones home because my dad went to hockey every week. I just finished tossing and turning with my down quilt wrapped around me like a little burrito when I felt the quilt deflate faster than the rest of my blanket near my feet. I felt pressure like someone was sitting there and I froze. I knew it couldn't be my mom because I could still hear them talking in her room. I took a moment to gather up the courage to peek above my covers and I saw a little indent like someone had been there seconds ago. That's when I lost it. I ran to my mom, crying and explaining what had just happened. I could tell she didn't believe me, but for comfort, she told me that it was probably my grandma, who had passed away recently at the time, saying goodbye before she left for heaven. I appreciated hearing it, but at the same time, silently asked my grandma why she would choose a time when it would scare me so badly. I don't want to take up too much time, so I'll write one more, but I'll be sure to tell you guys some more next time. I usually stay up pretty late, and just like Donna, I'm a night owl. Represent, girl. I just made myself a snack and was sitting at my kitchen table watching a funny YouTuber when something in the air felt different. It felt like something was in the room with me, and it wasn't friendly. When something creepy happens, my usual instinct is to act calm, investigate, or walk away. So when I felt this, I stayed and I tried to talk myself out of this feeling, but it kept getting worse. I couldn't keep my eyes off of a spot across the kitchen near my fridge and oven. I knew something was there. It felt like it didn't want me there and was threatening me. 
It wasn't something I have ever felt in my house or anywhere else. Finally, I caved in. I grabbed my snack because ain't no ghost taking my food, got to my room, and locked the door. For a few nights after that, I wouldn't go into my kitchen unless someone else was there. I only told some friends who are believers that story because most people scoff at quote-unquote uneasy feelings, but I think they're just as real. Love, love your guys' work, and I appreciate all the time you and Will put into this. Keep it creepy, Zoe. Oh, yes. Will works so hard. Yes, he does an amazing job. So thank you for acknowledging him and us. And also, yes, are you my doppelganger? Because, hell yeah, grab those snacks. Because I would be fucking starving and alone in my room, scared. Like, you you need comfort food in that moment. You need some sort of distraction. Definitely. Hi. First, I would like to say that I love the podcast and it is great. In this email, I would like to tell you a bit about me and my tale. Before we start, a bit about me. I live in the dead center of England, and I love the subject of true crime and spooky shit. I am a boulderer. I climb in, I climb in climbing gyms, and I compete in competition. That's freaking awesome. Okay, uh, Ninja Warrior, I bet you got strong fingers. Right? Right on to the story. My family and I live about one to two miles away from any type of other town or village. And in between that, a thick, dense forest. There's an old abandoned railway line through this dense woodland. This was built back in the day to transfer people to and from the now burned down insane asylum that I live on top of to stop them from conversing with the general public. Wow. That's some serious hiding of secrets. When it burned down, they had just finished building a dance floor there. And everyone was having a nice time, dancing and socializing. They say, my grandparents, that the fire started in the kitchen and traveled to the cooling area. And after that, well, you can guess. Chaos. People turning around, trying to leave. But the exits had been blocked by the ceiling collapsing. While this was happening, a 15-year-old boy who was visiting his parents working there was told to cycle the one to two miles to the nearest town to get the fire service. But by the time they got back, it was too late. The whole place had been burnt down just to rubble. Mm. The only thing that survived was the doctor's housing and the quarantine area for the critically insane. They say that about 100 to 150 people died in that fire. By the time that the fire brigade had put the fire out, there were just ashes getting blown about in the mid-afternoon breeze. Oh my gosh. The place has now been built on with a different array of houses from apartments to houses that go for 500 to 750,000 pounds or 650 to $900,000. But wait, you must be thinking, this can't be it. There has to be more. Well, there is. Do you remember the quarantine place? Well, they changed that into a private daycare for toddlers. This is some bad juju. And when they were decorating, they pulled some plaster off the wall and found writing on the wall. Like, lots of it. The whole wall. Also, you can hear the screams from that night as you walk around the place at night. 
So that's it, I guess. I hope you enjoyed it. Also, this happened on 2nd of July, 1897. I got the info from my family and hearing it from different people. Hope you enjoyed it. Creep it weird. Love you, ladies. From Rowan. P.S. Can you shout out my mom? She's an absolute legend and got me into you. True crime and spooky shit. She's called Caroline. Thank you for taking your time to read this out. Aw, Caroline, thank you for getting Rowan into true crime and spooky shit. (laughs) Yes, and I love that Rowan said she's a complete legend. Yes. If only every kid felt that way about their parent. Right. Also, why would they put the daycare in a haunted location? Um, Kids can see ghosts. But I digress. Hey, ladies, I love your podcast, and I've been listening since you were only a few episodes in. The minute I heard Carrie say to Donna that she's one brain injury away from being a serial killer and Donna talking about titty paperweights, I knew you were my people. (laughs) For some reason, I've been reluctant to submit my story, but there have been a couple of sinister sighting stories that are so similar to mine. I just said, what the hell, and decided to finally send one in. So for most of my adult life, I've suffered from chronic nightmares and insomnia. I mean, it's bad enough that I can't sleep well. I really don't want it to be interrupted by some creepy-ass shit. Cue Carrie, don't fuck with my sleep. My nightmares are always the same, and one of two plots. One is a reoccurring dream about a large, dead tree in a field with fog surrounding it. I don't know why, but when this tree shows up in my dream, it scares the shit out of me. That sounds really stupid when I say it out loud, but there's just something very unsettling about it. The other type of dream is usually involving demons, possession, or having some sort of entity in my house. Usually I can't ever see the things, but I just know it's there and I'm losing my shit trying to warn people. Or I feel it taking over me and I can't get it to leave. There was even a night my atheist ass said the Lord's Prayer as I fell asleep because I had a very vivid dream about possession the night prior. The first time I had sleep paralysis, I was still with my ex. We had just moved into our first place together, and I'd fallen asleep on the couch. He was working overnight, so he was not home. I remember waking up and not being able to move, but I could still see the room around me. I didn't see anyone there, but I could just feel someone was there, you know? I wasn't really scared, though, and ended up falling back asleep. In the morning, when my ex got home, I asked why he had come home in the middle of the night. He said he hadn't. I thought it was weird, but just kind of brushed it off as a weird dream. The next experience I had was in the same apartment. My ex and I had been fighting, so he was sleeping out on the couch, and I was in our room by myself. I remember waking up and seeing a black cloaked thing just standing by my bed. I couldn't see its face, but I could just tell it was staring at me. I was fucking horrified. I remember when I snapped out of it, I ran to the living room and made my ex come sleep in the room with me. Fight be damned. I was not about to be in that room by myself. While this was scary as shit, I just brushed it off as a weird nightmare since I had been dealing with them for so long. Fast forward a couple of years, my ex and I had just split up and I was in a new apartment, just me and my dog. I had let my dog out to go to the bathroom before I went to bed and I remember feeling really uneasy when I was outside with her. 
I was stuck staring at the ceiling and could see the closet out of the corner of my eye. All of a sudden, the cloaked thing came out of the closet and started choking. I mean, I'm all for a little choking in bed, but damn, same girl. Because it was so much closer to me than it had been before, I was actually able to see more detail. It honestly looked like a mix between a Dementor from Harry Potter and a Ring Wraith from Lord of the Rings. Yes, I know I'm nerdy as fuck. (laughs) Eventually, it went away, but I was not able to sleep the rest of the night. To this day, because of this, I'm not able to sleep without the TV on if I'm sleeping by myself. When I was getting ready for work the next morning, I opened the closet that it had come out of and my dog started shaking. I was like, could you fucking not? As I was really just trying not to think about it. Again, even though this was scary as fuck, I still just thought it was a weird nightmare. Then I started listening to your podcast about a month later. I don't want to think about this shit being real. I've always been sensitive to paranormal shit, but shadow people are too freaky for me. No thanks. These are my only experiences with sleep paralysis, but those are the times involving that figure. It almost never happens if someone is sleeping in the bed with me, but one time it did. I was at a guy's house who also suffers from sleep paralysis once in a while. He didn't have it that night. I did, but I thought it was a weird coincidence. What he sees is more alien abduction style. He said there's a bright light and people standing over him. And honestly, I think that's worse than what I see. This podcast has made me feel better knowing that sleep paralysis is a lot more common than I thought it was. However, it makes me wonder if there's more to this since a lot of us see the same creepy cloaked fuck when we have it. I know this is already long, but my mom takes Ambien, so I have some bonus stories for Donna. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Yes. She was staying with a friend of hers, and they were sitting in the living room, and my mom had taken her Ambien. All of a sudden, my mom starts giving the table lamp some serious side-eye and kind of backing away. Her friend says, are you afraid of the lamp? What is this, Beauty and the Beast? (laughs) My mom kind of nods gingerly, but starts slowly walking towards it. Her friend says, it's okay. Touch the lamp. It's not going to hurt you. My mom slowly sticks out her hand and barely taps the lampshade. Then she books it into her room and doesn't come out until morning. Luckily, my mom's friend has this on video and we were all laughing our asses off because my mom doesn't remember any of it. There was another day she was absolutely terrified of a regular pedestal fan to the point where I had to take it out of her room, put it elsewhere, and tuck her in. While I was doing so, I had to reassure her that there were not two of me and she just needed to go to sleep. In the morning, she was like, why is the fan in the den? And I'm like, because you thought it was some monster. And it freaks her out that she never remembers anything, but we get such a kick out of it. Thank you for reading my stories, lady. Creep it real, Hillary. Oh my God, Hillary. Those are great. Scary as fuck. But also, oh my God, at your mom. Oh my gosh. We haven't had an ambient story in a while, so that was much needed. Hawaii Sinister Sighting Submission. Hi ladies, I absolutely love your podcast. Literally, since I happened upon your show, I have been binging it every day at work. Makes the time go by just a little faster. I have a short story to share with y'all. I hope you like it. 
backstory. My grandparents' house is on a street that is pretty steep, and my grandparents' house sit on top of a steep driveway. So if a car were to drive up, the headlights will shine for a moment in the large living room window as you level up on the flat area of the driveway. I hope you understand this. Sorry. Makes complete sense. So one night, late at night, me and my boyfriend were driving home. We drove up our street and drove up our driveway For the split second that our headlights shined in the living room window, we saw the figure of a man from shoulder up staring back at us. I can only describe him as gray and dark. Literally, it was a two-second window of light. Me and my boyfriend looked at each other like, did you see that? Thinking it was my grandpa, I immediately jumped out of the car, ran upstairs to see what he was doing up so late, only to find that they were sound asleep in their bedroom. No one else was there. Keep in mind, the time frame was just a minute or so from seeing the figure in the headlights to me jumping out of the car and getting into the house, so there was no way that my grandpa would have been able to get up from the window and hurry back to bed. I was really freaked out, so I immediately ran out of there. I love you guys so much. Keep up the great podcast and please keep me anonymous, but you can say Jay from Hawaii. Okay, because I'm basic as fuck, I want to say aloha. (laughs) Also, I think that's scarier than like seeing an entity or whatever for a long time, just like that flash, because it's like in the scary movies when it's like in the mirror just really quickly Mm -hmm. or just like that, it's like in a car passing or whatever and it's in a window and you're like, what was that? Holy shit. And you just keep replaying it in mm-hmm. your head. And oh my gosh. Well, and it's always scarier like in movies and stuff when you get just a like a, a little glimpse of something. Because when it shows, like especially if it's supposed to be like a creature. Like I remember yeah. Aliens, that movie with Mel Gibson. in Signs. Yeah, that one. Uh, that movie was so good until they showed the creature. And I was yeah. like, Ah, oh, damn. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, every time is so good, and then they show the creature, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Jay. And also glad that your grandpa didn't need your help, but also that's fucking scary when you're like, oh, my God, he needs my help, and then uh, he's asleep. Who was that? All right. Holy shit, we have another sleep paralysis story. Okay. Don't mind the flowery prose. This is a 100% accurate retelling of my first and then most recent sleep paralysis experiences. I'm not a writer. This is not self-promotion. I just want to translate properly to the reader. If that violates the rules, I'm sorry. And it totally doesn't violate the rules. And if it's anything like your first one, we are in for a doozy. And the stories are so scary. The clock on my nightstand read 3.30 a.m. when I shot up in bed gasping for air. The clothes I had been wearing, the sheets that had been covering me, and even the bed I had been laying on were all soaked through with sweat. The room smelled like fear mixed with the bitter twang of burning ozone. The smell assaulted my senses and the sweat that had half dried around the edge of my eyelids began to sting my eyes brightly. This caused me a temporary inability to keep them open, which is just as well. I was too scared to look around the dark room for fear that it would still be there. Even now, a decade and a half later, it still comes for me. 
Not a single year passes that I don't get visited by a shadowy force that sits on my chest with an unimaginable weight that looks deep into my soul with bloodshot yellow eyes and attempts to suck the air from my lungs with disgusting hate-filled breaths. I wiped my eyes and looked to my wife. It seemed that she was still sound asleep. Her gentle snoring had let me know that all of the screaming and struggling I had been doing mere moments before had been an exclusively internal battle. This is something that I'm often concerned about on nights like tonight. I don't want to wake her or by extension worry her, so as long as my struggle does not cause her distress, then I suppose I can handle it on my own. I went to the kitchen to brew my morning coffee. It was hours yet before my day would normally start, but I knew sleep would not return to me, and at that point, I did not want to spend another moment in the dark. Every time I close my eyes, I see the thing. Its face burned by the uncounted ages that it had rotted in hell, its body mostly hidden by an oily cloak made of an impenetrable blackness that flowed around the thing's frame with what seemed like a life of its own. The first time the figure assaulted me, I was 17. I had been getting ready for bed and talking to my girlfriend at the time on our webcams. I had left the room for a few minutes to use the restroom, and when I returned, my girlfriend had said, Hey, remind me to tell you something when I see you tomorrow. I asked what she meant, but of course she would not elaborate, and as you can imagine, I was a tad unnerved. I would later learn that she had seen an odd shadow moving around the room while I was gone, and she didn't want to scare me, though. For all she knew, it could have been a cat. Looking back, I don't even remember going to sleep that night. I only remember being startled awake an unknown time later. The smell of fear thick in the room. Now, I know I keep saying that, but really what I mean is the atmosphere of the room had become thick and oppressive, like pheromones telling my animal side that there was a predator nearby, watching me, just waiting. Adrenaline dumped into my system. I felt the cold panic spread. It started from my groin and traveled up my spine. My stomach nodded painfully. My hands and feet began to shake violently. But despite my fight-or-flight instinct telling me to get my shit in gear and fly the fuck out of there, I could not move. I was not scared into immobility. I was not frozen with irrational fear. I was paralyzed. I was being smothered. I was unable to even close my eyes despite wanting to do nothing more at that moment than to squeeze my eyes shut and pray to whatever God was there for whatever forgiveness they offered. I even tried to scream for my mother. Imagine that, 17 years old and screaming for my mommy. But at that moment, I had been more desperate than I had ever thought imaginable. I was trapped in my own body. I was forced to lay there and watch shadows cast by my computer screensaver flickering on the wall, flickering on the shadowy figure that now occupied the corner of my bedroom. It was tall. It was imposing. And no sooner had it noticed that I had noticed it than it was on my chest, crushing me. 
Up until this point, my breathing had been shallow, but now, with this demonic shade putting its face mere inches from mine, I was unable to take in any air at all. I tried to struggle. I tried to scream. I began to feel woozy, and as my vision began to get hazy, the grim reality of the situation set in. I knew that in that moment, if I lost consciousness, I would never again wake up. My vision became a pinprick surrounded by static. My lungs and throat burned with the lack of oxygen. My ears pounded with the sound of my rapid heartbeat. I laid there for what it felt like hours, but in reality could have been minutes, straining against the dead weight of my useless body and staring into the soulless eyes of my would-be killer. Before long, the warm embrace of sleep began to overtake me. With all hope of survival gone, I used what life I had left to give one final push for dear life. And as suddenly as it appeared, the thing was gone and I could breathe again. I was on my feet in an instant, slapping the light switch, which nearly blinded me with the sudden brightness of my surroundings. I didn't care. The clock on my desk read 3.30 a.m., and I sat with the lights on for the next several hours, trying to come to terms with what happened, much like I'm doing now, staring into my coffee cup, oblivious of the tears streaming down my cheeks. I still feel it there at the edge of my awareness, feeding off of my fear, feeling me with dread. It never leaves. It always returns. Ed. Shit. (sighs) Can I breathe? Y'all, these fucking sleep paralysis and shadow people, this was a heavy fucking Sinister Sightings episode. Yes. Good thing we had a break with the ambient story because Ed... You left me speechless there, buddy. And you say you're not a writer, but you should be one. Right. I don't know if I said that earlier, but you should be one. And if she did, then that should tell you something. <laughs> Whew. Man, y'all, shit. All of these stories, just, I can put myself in those situations. Yes. And it's so scary. Y'all are so fucking brave. God, y'all, I mean... I mean, part of me doesn't want to go to sleep tonight. I mean, I'm going to because I love it. But, <laughs> I mean, part of me is like, ooh. Right? Well, thank y'all so much for sending in these amazing stories. Keep them coming. Send them in, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.